Ladies and gentlemen, goobers and ghouls, dear listeners, welcome back to Fear Boners. Fear Boners. I am your host, Andrew, and it has been quite a long time since we've spoken, and thank you from the bottom of my heart for bearing with me. We have been on an impromptu, unannounced, unplanned holiday hiatus. As things go, life gets complicated. Things worked out, though. I've been, as you can tell, my voice is still sort of not exactly with me 100%, because... When we roll into the winter, as you do, sometimes you get sick, sometimes you get phlegmy and miserable and terrible, and I have had a hell of a time keeping my voice at 100%. And in a medium such as podcasting that very heavily relies on having a steady voice with dulcet tones that just melts in your ear like butter because everybody loves a little ear butter, it's been hard to get to a point where I can fully record a whole episode without sounding like I'm dying. So, hopefully we'll be able to get through this full recording, because I have been watching the hell out of horror movies, and I want to keep you guys up to date, sort of tell you what I've been up to, what I've been watching. So we'll be able to catch up over the next hour or so, take some time to review some of the movies, and talk about some of the movies I've watched, as well as just talking about what's coming down the pipeline in general. And with that, just sort of reiterating why I've been MIA, I had sort of a John Carpenter's Thing situation going on in the back of my throat for a while. It seemed to resolve itself, and then it came back, and then I lost my voice straight up for like a week, which was very fun, and this is probably the best I've sounded in a while. But going forward, I'm going to be trying to take better care of myself, because, you know, it is a new year. And Happy New Year to all you dear listeners out there. I hope you had a absolutely horrible, horrible holiday with your frightening families, and I hope you are going right into 2019 with the pent-up rage and disappointment that can only result in a truly transformative and productive new year. Now, with that being said, I haven't just been sitting around being a sick, sad little idiot this whole time. I have been traveling quite a bit, visiting friends and family, Over the holidays, I did have to fight off a rabid squirrel infestation in my home down in Maryland, which was quite fun to deal with, which is an ongoing battle. So we'll see how things go there. But yeah, so I've come back. I have survived. I'm not dead. I know there are rumors and exaggerations of my death and the host of the Fear Boners podcast being an undead minion of the underworld. But those are definitely, definitely not true. Don't believe what you hear. In this day and age of quote-unquote fake news, the least of your concerns is whether or not a 
tiny little podcast host such as myself is alive or dead. And anyway, what would it matter if you were listening to the ramblings of a dead man telling you about which horror movies to watch? Wouldn't that make you want to listen to this podcast a little bit more? But yeah. So, going forward, uh, I know I've talked in the past about Shudder, which is a relatively new in the last year or so service that you can sign up for to watch Horror movies to your heart's content. I have been watching a shit ton of Shudder because that service is incredible. And the stuff that they add on a regular basis, including ongoing updates from horror host Joe Bob Briggs, Last Drive-In. They did two updates, one around Thanksgiving and one around Christmas. The Christmas one is all the Phantasm movies, except for Phantasm 2 for some reason, which is interesting. But if you're really into horror, definitely recommend uh, looking into Shudder because they have so much great content on there. A couple of the movies I'm actually going to be talking about through this episode are actually Shudder exclusives. You might be able to find them elsewhere, but for for my luck, what I've been looking at, the only place I've found them to watch is on Shudder. They do put up great exclusive content, uh, and it sounds like they are going to have a lot of really good stuff to look forward to in the new year as well. And they do run promos from time to time. Their subscription fee is definitely reasonable, so... If you're looking for an easy way to find great new horror content and some old classic stuff, definitely check out Shudder. But getting into what we're going to be talking about today, just sort of reviewing some of the movies I watched in the last couple months, as well as some holiday recommendations. We're going to start with a, yes, Shudder exclusive called All the Creatures Were Stirring. Now, I'd heard a bunch of information about this on the Twitters, people getting really hyped about it coming out. When it finally popped up on Shudder, I got super excited because I knew I was going to be able to watch it for Christmas. It did show up right around the beginning of December, so I didn't want to watch it too early. Even though, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but in the last few years especially, there has been an increase in the amount of holiday-themed horror movies, which I love. Especially considering, uh, what is it, Hulu's Into the Dark series, which has been really great. We might touch a little bit on the the Puka movie that they did for December, which was kind of interesting, kind of weird. But yes, going back to All the Creatures Were Stirring, this movie is an interesting kind of take on the anthology film in the fact that it's basically set up as these two awkward people meeting on, I believe, Christmas Eve on a weird, awkward sort of Tinder date. And in the beginning, you can't really catch the vibe whether or not they're dating or they're just friends meeting up it almost seems like they know each other but this is the first time they're actually meeting in real life so you kind of get that like awkward kind of tinder craigslist creepy vibe at first and they're outside of a small little independent theater with a marquee that says all the creatures were stirring and it looks like a movie theater but then as they go in they sort of meet a group of interesting characters none of which really talk just give you an odd creepy vibe the girl behind the counter dishing out popcorn and tickets and such just is sort of unhappy to see them there is unhappy to be working doesn't really give a shit um and then there's a creepy old man there as well who's uh making eyes at the girl the guy's on a date with and you're not quite sure that's the thing is you're not quite sure who the main character is in these little interstitials because the overarching story is of the couple on a date at the the movie theater but then Basically, what we're presented with is every little anthology piece is actually a performance piece that's done 
during this show that they're going to because then they sit down in the movie theater and instead of it actually being a movie theater it's a live performance but it's very weird because you basically go in and there's three I think people who keep coming up to stage with props and they're all dressed in black and they act out the different uh the different stories on stage and so like sort of the ongoing joke is the fact that it is live theater and it's very boring and you can't really tell what's going on and at first, it's funny to the couple. It's kind of quaint because they're like, oh, this is a nice little first date. It's awkward, but it's funny. We'll have a story to tell. And then it starts to get kind of weird going forward because of the different stories that they wind up telling throughout the movie. One there where there's like a secret Santa in like an office that goes awry and people start dying. Um, there's, uh, I think there's one about aliens. It's it's really great. You get You get a nice mixed bag of different Christmas tales with like kind of a creepy or weird bent. There's always kind of a twist to each one. And then while those are going on, while those don't necessarily connect, which would have been great. I always like when the anthologies tend to try and connect things. In this one, it's sort of more about like what's actually going on in the theater or like what's going on with those characters in between every one of the anthology pieces. So you don't know who's connected, which people sitting in the movie theater are actually there on purpose. And then like the crowd keeps changing and then they have an intermission. And then when the intermission comes back, half the crowd is gone and only the creepy guy and like somebody else is there. And then, and then there's this other weird side story where the, the guy on the date gets like really uncomfortable. And you can tell in between each, each little movie that he's like, he's having some valvular or stomach issues. So he keeps getting up to excuse himself to go to the bathroom, which is sort of funny at first. And then it's like, you can tell he's nervous. And then it's like, oh no, this is actually something really weird. And then it just keep gets more sinister and more worrisome towards the end of the film when they're finishing up the anthology pieces that you think something's actually going to happen to the girl. But it's, it kind of gets this nice slow burn, slow buildup of dread over this like awkward internet date which I've been on quite a few awkward internet dates so I thought this was perfect but the resolution is is okay like the movie itself is fun as far as anthology goes you guys know that I love that format for movies so I really enjoyed all the creatures were stirring if you have shutter definitely recommend checking it out if you don't definitely recommend finding a way to watch it otherwise especially around the holidays I know we are in the new year it's after Christmas but still this is still going to be an enjoyable movie to watch. I wouldn't say wait a year to watch it next year. I would say just look for it and take a peek. And with that, the next one I wanted to get into was also a Shutter exclusive. Hey, look at that. Actually, now that I'm reevaluating this list, I feel like most of it are Shutter exclusives. But hey, like I said, it's a service I pay for and I check it out and they constantly put up new content. So, this isn't this isn't even a a a paid advertisement. I just really thoroughly enjoy the service and I think it's definitely well worth it. Um, the next one we're going to be talking about is the one I watched most recently is a film called The Witch in the Window, uh, which again, I'd heard a lot about for a while now. People were raving about it. I read the description and wasn't quite sold on it, but the thing of it is sometimes those ones are the ones that are always the best, you know, like you read the little blurb and it's like, oh, it doesn't really sound that interesting or oh, it's not the kind of movie I'm into. And then you finally get around to watching it. You're like, damn, why didn't I watch that? You know, the first time I heard about it. So in this movie, we have a div 
divorce, I'm assuming divorced couple or at least split couple and their son. And uh, there's a bit of stress, obviously, between the husband and wife or ex-husband and ex-wife. And the kid is there and he's very standoffish and very quiet. And you can tell something has happened. Like the mom keeps referring to like what he did or what he saw. And she's very pissed. And like the kid keeps telling her to like eat shit or shut up. Like he's being really rude to the mom. And the dad keeps like kind of like the dad's not necessarily reprimanding him. But like you can tell that the mom is like you need to get him out of here. You need to like set him straight. So we find out that the dad is basically a property flipper so he buys houses fixes them up sells them a lot that's part of the reason it seems like that the the mom broke up with him or divorced him because you know he wasn't smart with his money and he wasn't really good at flipping houses but he kept doing it so understandably like that's something that could put a lot of stress on a family so he was in the midst of doing that again but she thought well the son is getting in trouble and he needs something to focus on and something to get him away so she basically says I'm taking your phone and you go flip this house with your dad, do some like manual labor, hard work, whatever, go into the country with your dad and help him fix up this house while you clean up your act. That's the setup basically. And so then after a long, awkward drive out into the country, the kid and dad sort of break down their barriers and sort of catch up. And the dad starts explaining, like he said, sorry, I wasn't there. Like I wouldn't be there for you guys but he's afraid of being a father and this and that. And that's like themes are sort of chipped away at throughout the movie while they sort of break things down and, and um, bond throughout the length of the film, because obviously the most of the movie is about the, the bond between the father and son. And then they come up to this house, which, you know, there's going to be a window, you know, there's going to be a witch in it. So clearly this is like a haunted house of some sort. It's very on the cuff. You know, what's, you know, what's sort of going on, going into it. It's a creepy looking old kind of farmhouse and they do a tour and they look through it and everything's kind of dusty and they find some broken windows and he's sort of explaining to the kid this is the process of flipping a house and this is what we're going to do and this is what I'm going to need your help with and then there's a couple rooms that they get weird vibes in and it's really well shot because you know I don't think and edited too because some of the some of the scenes are a little lingering but overall you get a vibe that you know there's something not settled as much as some of the shots look like a settled house like an old house that's been there a while there's something unsettled or unsettling about that place as a setting and so eventually we meet the handyman there's this great setup in the beginning of the movie where the dad takes a call as soon as they get there and he's like oh yeah great he he tells the kid he was on the phone with the electrician and told like he absentmindedly just tells the guy to go in the basement let himself into the basement and do whatever work he needs to do so then of course as most haunting ghost stories go as soon as they're in the house and they do their little tour they start hearing things and so they go to investigate because they don't know like this house might have been wide open they're in the country it could be an animal it could be a person who knows what they go into the basement to check it out and it's like a creepy basement and there's this great little jump, not even a jump scare, it's just like a great reveal where they bump into the electrician and they're both, they're all just like terrified. Like that's the thing is like everybody's reaction to weirdness in this movie is one of, I feel like one of the more genuine reactions to people's weirdness in movies. In this case, when they see the electrician who they haven't met before, they've only talked to on the phone, the dad like brushes the kid behind him and he's like, stay there, or, like go, like just don't. He's like, what do you want? Like, get out of my house. He's dealing with it like it's actually a home intruder. He's not thinking it's, like, anything weird at that point. Which 
makes sense. Not weird, but like not supernatural because they haven't necessarily seen or heard anything to, to indicate that yet. And then they all have a great laugh because they realize they just scared themselves silly. And then the electrician repairman guy and them share a beer by the lake outside the house and they're talking and catching up. And then, of course, there's that, uh, oh, yeah, not a go down that road type speech where they're like, well, like, tell us about the history of the house. Because the kid had earlier made a pun about, oh, did people get chopped up in there? And he's like, well, no, not really. And then they look at him and he's like, no, nobody got killed, but... And then the kid's like, oh, did someone die in there? And he's like, well, yeah. And so they, the guy tells the story about how he's lived in this area forever. And this house used to be owned by a creepy old lady named Lydia. And he tells this whole story about Lydia and how... I'm trying to remember. I think it was she lived there with her husband and child. And the child died. And then the husband died. And then she was kind of there on her own own for a very long time and she became very bitter and uh the rumors were she was a witch I think trying to resurrect her family and then it got to the point where all she ever did was sit in the window of the house there's a huge prominent window in the front face of the house that people would walk down the street and just see her sitting in front of a rocking chair and over time over the course of a few weeks, a few months, they noticed that she never actually moved from that rocking chair. And then finally someone was like, hey, maybe we should check. And they called the cops to do like a welfare check and they found out that she had been dead for weeks. Classic creepy ghost story setup. They did a great job to make the actress who plays Lydia look creepy as hell. And so then there's this great transitional period with the father and son where first it sounds like local lore and legend and then they're like oh you're just trying to scare the newbies and like they kind of play it off but you can sort of tell that the neighbor repairman guy who he lives he's like oh yeah i'm like the closest person living to you living closest to you i'm about almost a mile down the street down the road so not that close but like i'm the closest if you need anything come get me basically is what he says so you sort of can tell like he might know more than he's letting on and then that night, the father and son go back in the house, you know, and some, some spooky shit goes down where they start hearing things, they start seeing things. And then there's this great rendezvous that the the kid and the dad have in the middle of the night because they have this funny little exchange where the dad's like, I'll leave my door open. Because you can tell they're both like a little freaked after that story. They're both a little creeped out the first night they're staying in the house. Because that is a scary story. It's like stereotypical as the setup was that the guy laid down, it is still creepy having to stay in a house where someone died and then you know about it. So then at that point, they both wake up and the kid tells the dad that he's been seeing a woman in a mirror in the house. Like he's only seen her in the mirror and then the dad looks in. There's this great scene where like the camera kind of pans over to the mirror as he's talking with the son because he's looking at the son and then he looks at the... He can see the sun in the mirror as well, so he's kind of looking at the sun in the mirror, and you're just waiting for something to jump out of the mirror, but it, it doesn't. But you sort of get this, like, increasing, like, the creeping dread starts to increase, like, going up your spine a little bit. You're like, okay, shit, there's, like, something here, there's something going on. And then, at that point, I think actually at that point, when they, right before they have their little, their little rendezvous, the dad had seen something too. Like, he sees, like, hands 
like pressing the door to his room open and he thinks it's his kid and he's like oh who was that and he like goes to open the door and there's nobody there and then his kid comes out so they're both seeing things at this point and then he confirms that with the kid and so they're both but he doesn't want to worry the kid so he kind of plays it off like it's nothing so there's this transitional period where it's like kind of starting to amp up after they know about it basically I guess, like, you only really believe in it or see it after you're aware of it. So when the guy told the story, then they start seeing things. And then, at this point, they're still kind of working on the house, and they sort of dismiss it. Because then what happens is, the next night or a night or two later, they have another scare where there's, like, a weird noise, and they can't identify it. And they decide, they spook themselves somehow. They think they see something, because they're getting more and more paranoid about it. And the dad is like, oh, hey, okay, so instead of let's ordering pizza, why don't we just go and get the pizza and, like, heat outside? Because it gets to the point where, like, they're less and less enthusiastic about spending time in the house. And so as the kid's getting his coat, <laughs> you hear the kid whisper, like, dad, dad, you gotta come up here. And he looks, and the kid's, like, just looks like he's seen the worst thing. And that's, so, the thing of it is, there's this overarching story not story, but like a side story of the mom being pissed because the kid saw something on the internet that he wasn't supposed to. And the dad keeps thinking it was porn because the mom found his history or like looked on his phone and saw something. And so she's really upset that the kid saw something that he very much shouldn't have seen. And so the dad's thinking it's like, you know, sex. But later we find out it was like somebody getting killed brutally on the internet via some news website or something. So this kid's already seen some shit, but this, whatever he's seeing right now, scares the hell out of him. So the dad, like, knows it's pretty serious, so he goes up, and there's a woman sitting in that chair by the window. Like, very obviously. Very much not a ghost, like, clearly just a woman sitting in the chair. They see, like, her silhouette, they see her hand, they see her just sitting there. And so again, like, the dad sort of takes this defensive mode. Like, it's not, they both know, like, in the back, like, you sort of identify with them. Okay, like, this is a ghost. But the dad is just like, hello? Hello? Okay. And then he, like, tells the kid to kind of, like, back up or, like, leave. He's just like, you should get out of here because this, Lord knows, this is crazy person in our house somehow. And so there's this weird transition where, like, he tries to rouse the person and, like, gets closer, gets closer, gets closer. And then finally the kid just sort of scoots around him and, like, looks. And they're both within, like, a couple feet of this woman. And it's clearly... They didn't know what she looked like. Like, there's no part in the movie where, like, they saw Lydia, but, like, we as the viewer saw Lydia in the flashback, so we know what she looks like. So when it reveals who's sitting in the chair, you're like, oh shit, that's Lydia. And they're just, she's still not responding to them. And then the kid says, like, use her name. And that's when he's like, oh shit. So then as soon as he calls her Lydia, she, like, freaks out. There's, like, a jump scare. She chases them out of the house. It's really great because, like, it's... What what does she say? She says... She says, like, stay with me or something. And she just slowly... It's, like, not even quickly. She, like, walks. She, like, menacingly walks. Not even fast. Just kind of walks after them throughout the house. And, man, those moments where, like, you're worried she's going to grab them are so spooky. And so then you just know, like, this ghost shit is real. And then that's when they wind up driving down the street... They wind up going back to the repairman, and he tells them the whole story. He's like, yeah, shit, like, I know I told you I cut the electricity, but it seemed, for some reason, when I cut the electricity, she stopped wandering around. Like, she wasn't doing her thing anymore. 
but I repaired that. And ever since I repaired that for you, she's been back. And he tells them the story. This is where it gets a little weird because there's some little side stories here that don't really resolve. The repairman was like somehow cursed by her before. And he's been ever since she's active when the electricity is still on, he sleepwalks and winds up walking down the street a mile barefoot in his pajamas to the house and almost going in the house. Like he's being lured to the house by her to stay with her. Cause that seems to be her. She's like lonely and she wants somebody to stay with her, which I guess after losing her husband and her child, like that's all she wants. So then the dad is settled that he's going to send the kid home. And this is where it gets extra spooky because there's this great moment where they, the repairman sort of explains like the weirdly further supernatural cursy aspect of the relationship with Lydia and the house and whoever owns it or whoever lives there. And the dad's like, well, it's unsafe, has a call with his ex-wife and is like, I'm sending our son home back to New York because I think they're in Vermont, I think is where they're supposed to be. And then, see, this one's still semi-fresh with me. That's why this review is getting more in depth. And I apologize. I should have given a heads up about spoilers ahead of time, but I'm being fairly vague with most of my descriptions of this movie on purpose because it is still really good and I recommend people watch it. But then at that point, there's this great moment where the kid's protesting. He's like, I don't want to go. I want to help you. Like, I want to, you know, keep you safe. Like, you're my favorite person. Like, he's coming out telling the dad about everything that he feels because he never told him that he, like, he doesn't say he loves him. And then, but he's like telling him about how he's sort of dealing with these feelings and stuff. And gets on the bus, dad leaves, goes home, starts clearing out stuff. And I think at this point is where we find out he's actually not flipping the house. He's trying to rebuild and refresh in the house so that he can convince his ex-wife to move out there and so that they can get together again and raise the kid. So it means a lot to him. And so he's going to do it himself. And as he's clearing out the barn that's located next to the house, he turns around after he's throwing, throwing all the shit out of the hayloft and there's the kid. And so then they have a confrontation where he's like, what did you do? Like, did you walk all the way back? Like, that's ridiculous. Like, why would you do that? And like, in my head, I was like, it seems like they really made an effort to make it seem like the drive to the bus station was long. So like, there's no way that the kid would have been able to walk back that fast. So there's little bits and pieces like that, that you can pick up on that makes sense that leads into the next scene where you're just like, there's something off here. And then of course, like the next day or something, like they're working in the barn again, or like, there's like a transition where all of a sudden he gets a call from his wife or no, maybe it is the next day. That's the thing that doesn't make sense because there's definitely something inconsistent about how the kid gets back to the house. Something that I was paying enough attention to while I was watching it that I was like, something's not lining up. So he gets a call from the wife and the wife, he starts to try to explain. He's like, look, I'm sorry. Like, I know, you know, I told you he was going to be there and this and that. And then she's like, oh, well he is Finn. Finn, the kid's name is like, he is here. And that's when the dad and the kid are in the barn sitting next to each other. And then the dad starts to kind of break down because he realizes that's not his kid sitting next to him. Oh, it's so creepy. Because there's this great metaphor that's presented in the beginning of the movie because the kid sort of knows what the dad's doing before the dad officially says, like, I'm trying to build this house for us. When the kid goes to his room and there's a bunch of his stuff from storage. And he's like, why is all my stuff here? This is weird. Like you got all my toys and posters and shit in this room. Like why? And one of the things is a huge, one of those um, magic eye posters that you have to stare at and like reveal what it says. And in this case, his poster was just a giant one that said Finn, 
but they talk about it. he's like oh i never got that and he's like well you just got to stare at it and like look at it in a way that like reveals what's behind it and they sort of talk about it and you know that's going to be a thing so that sort of again leads into the ghost and its nature of how it can like trick you into seeing something that's not really there or like trick you into seeing like what it wants you to see and so then yes he again there's this great moment where he's like almost crying on the phone talking to his actual son in new york while he's sitting next to his son who is a ghost in vermont and you can tell like the kid's like really concerned he's like is everything all right like you sound terrible he's like, oh no i'm fine like i love you okay, okay bye and then there's this great pan where like the dad and the son sort of turn and look at each other at the same time and there's a cut where it suddenly turns into lydia again and she chases him out of the barn and then it just increasingly with more beat like basically ramps up where the dad is insisting he's going to fix the house up fix his family he has another exchange with the repairman and at that point the repairman he goes to visit the repairman again and the repairman's just like drunk like crazy drunk because he's convinced that if he stays like totally inebriated he won't have to deal with like the curse of the witch or like wandering around and then there's like one more exchange between the dad fixing up the house and Lydia where he tries to call his wife and she basically insinuates she's like oh you know like I was talking to Finn and you know I realized after a while like I know what you're doing with the house like I know what you're trying to do and it's a nice thought and you could just see just all kind of hope leave the dad's face because he thought he was being so like nice and thoughtful and like fixing the family and saving the day and this and that and the wife is literally just like it was a nice thought and he's just you know like everything just leaves like he's like well shit this was my last chance I guess I fucked up again and so then he's sitting there with Lydia in like another chair and he basically agrees to stay with her and then by the end of the film we see that there's a morning where the repairman is wandering down the street clearly sleepwalking in a trance and he gets all the way to the house and he looks up in the window and there's the dad just sitting in the chair like a dead person then there's a jump cut and we find that the house was left to the kid or the mom and they're there to clean up and then the kid realizes that the dad is there with him and he leaves him like a kind of a nice note and it's kind of a bizarre weird dark ending but the family winds up being together because all of a sudden the kid hears the dad because there's this noise that's associated with the ghost in the house throughout the film and the kid hears it and realizes it's his dad now it's not like Lydia's gone and we do get a weird cut of Lydia walking around Manhattan because she says like if you stay then I'm free to go and we see like Lydia just walking around the streets of Manhattan which is weird but then the mom's mind is suddenly changed which sucks because this totally all could have been avoided if she had just wanted to live there to begin with so then there's like a jump where it's in the future and they're settled there and they're living there and then the kid goes to bed and he says goodnight to his dad and that's the end of the movie so it's like a weird like creepy dark ending but sort of still like hallmark heartwarming and i think this movie does a really good job of handling sort of character dynamics and interactions the bond between the dad and the son is really endearing the creepiness of 
the haunting is really well handled and the setting like the way that they shoot the house and the way that the the house and the 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 countryside and everything is managed and i think the acting the dad's acting is really really well accomplished in the film so yes talked about that for quite a bit more than i was planning on but yes if you have an opportunity to see the witch in the window if i haven't already completely spoiled it for you it's a great movie fun watch jump scares that are actually still enjoyable they're not schlocky they're not like oh i've seen this jump scare a million times it's good so yes the witch in the window and then one more shutter exclusive which sort of came out of nowhere it's got Allison Hannigan in it. Hannigan? Hannigan, I believe. She was from How I Met Your Mother, Buffy. You probably know her. You'd probably recognize her if you've seen, the, seen any of those TV shows. There is a movie called You Might Be the Killer. Now, this one's interesting because basically it is playing with standard, well-established slasher movie tropes, wherein we're introduced to a guy who... I think, if I remember correctly, is the dude from Cabin in the Woods, one of the survivors from Cabin in the Woods. The guy who survives, like, the reprogramming because his pot beats, like, the chemicals that they use to try to warp their minds, I think. So he's a camp counselor, and he's on this weird... All these people are, like, a little too old to be camp counselors, or, like, it's 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 like a weird dynamic where he's out there out there ahead of time to basically train other camp counselors to help kids and I guess they do this every year the year before he wound up hooking up with one of these other camp counselors and so they have a connection we're introduced to all these sort of like stereotypical like archetypes of counselors and you know as soon as shit starts happening people start having sex or it's very much like Friday the 13th or any other standard slasher movie that you've seen but in this case we're introduced at the end so this guy is running for his life and he's hiding in a cabin he's covered in blood and he calls his best friend who is Allison Hennigan and she works at a comic book store and she seems really cool and she loves horror movies so she knows she's sort of like working through things in her head because she's like oh my god like I don't know what's going on everybody's dead like somebody's going around killing people and I don't know what's happening and this and that and then slowly over time They sort of break things down, and you sort of know what's going on. I mean, the movie's called You Might Be the Killer, but basically it's like, it's sort of like Memento, because they're working backwards in that he's telling her what he remembers or what he's seen and how people were killed, and then he remembers that there was, because the thing of it is, is this camp that they're on is on property that is owned by his parents, so he's very familiar with the property, and he knows of a local legend where there was a guy who had killed a bunch of people and then they killed him and buried him on like a back lot in their property and he was buried with like an axe and he was buried with like his mask and this seems very much like a setup for one of the uh one of the killers in um Dead by Daylight if you've ever played that game but yeah so essentially we find out through this twisting backwards storytelling over the phone where basically uh Allison Hennigan is recounting like well yeah did you do this did this happen like she's going through all the like the horror movie tropes and like the rules of like a slasher film and like oh well that's no good it's interesting the way that the story dynamic unfolds it's a little bit different it's very familiar but it's still a really fun watch they do if I remember correctly set it up for a sequel and I would be interested in seeing that because it also feels like this movie in particular if you've ever seen a movie called Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. If you've ever seen that one, I really love that one because it's kind of 
it's similar in the fact that he's a slasher who's basically hired a documentary film crew to sort of tell about his return. So if it was like the return of Jason or the return of Michael Myers, if one of them had been like, oh yeah, like come with me, I'll show you how I do it. That's what Leslie Vernon is. And that's sort of what this is. Very, very much feels in the same vein. So if you like that movie or seen that movie, you'll you'll enjoy this movie. Feels like it could be in like the same universe too. You Might Be the Killer. Uh, another Shutter exclusive, but if you find another way to watch it or if it... I think most of these movies, when they say they're Shutter exclusive, you can still definitely purchase them on like iTunes or like other video on demand services. All three of the movies that I had previously mentioned are probably available and I would definitely recommend checking them out. And the last two movies that I'd like to talk about today are two that I had mentioned previously that were on my watch list. I don't know if they'd been around. I know one is relatively newer. The other one, I think, has been around for a year or two, but I finally found a, a chance to watch it. So let's start there. So I did get a chance to see Overlord. I wasn't able to hop on the episode reviewing that with the other Down in Front podcast guys, but... This movie is Trench Eleven, which I do sort of like to refer to as Overlord Light. Because when you step out of a movie like Overlord, you get um, certain vibes. Like, you really just want to keep watching movies with World War II setting, with Nazis and zombies, where people just kill the shit out of Nazi zombies. Sort of. Or Nazi-related monsters. Because, hell, there's not much you actually really have to do to a Nazi to make it a monster, because... You kind of just want to kill Nazis. So, found Trench Eleven. It's kind of this cool setup where they find that there is a secret lab and secret experimentation going on in this super crazy deep trench that they've discovered along the front where they send in sort of a, almost like a black ops team to review and recover any actual scientific evidence that they of what they were doing down in that trench or like destroy it and so i think it's they get a bunch of british like a team of british people with a team of americans and so there's there's a little bit of contention there but they work together to sort of get into the trench and then immediately they just start finding like if you've ever seen any of the descent movies it's very much like that and that it's all underground um, some of the scenes are like well lit, but there's a lot of darkness and a lot of claustrophobia, very tight spaces. And they, of course, there's like a, a door that seals and like a tunnel that collapses. But yeah, so they basically get stuck in this giant, crazy deep trench that just leads into the ground and turns into this underground bunker where they've been, the Nazis were doing this experimentation with this bacteria that basically causes you to get filled with these worms that drive you nuts and... I think you go blind, but you get super strong and, like, rage. So it is very much like Overlord. Um, but the work that they do on the weird prosthetic worms that pop out of these people is really interesting and creepy and weird. Some of the deaths are really great. Uh, some of the twists and some of the ways that people die in the movie is pretty great. And you don't you don't necessarily expect anybody to get out of this movie, but then you're worried, like... Of course, they get to that point where they're like, oh, we have to quarantine everything and we can't let anybody infected by this this virus or this disease to, to escape the bunker. And, you know, there's the, the scenes that you're you're expecting where people are like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice myself to blow these guys up. Because when they get in there, the thing is, like, there's still a whole bunch of, like, Nazis down there that are infected running around blind in the dark and, like, you know, angry trying to kill people. 
so there's some decent jump scares and some some creepy imagery and uh if you're into if you've seen overlord recently or want uh more vibing on uh creepy nazi world war ii horror definitely check out trench 11 now i'd seen that one a while ago so i don't remember much of the details but it's a good one that one came out a little while longer back um but another one that I gotten to see recently that I was super pumped on was The Night Eats the World. That one's actually on Amazon, I think. I found it on Prime. And it's basically like 28 Days Later that takes place in Paris. <laughs> and it's interesting. It's basically this awkward setup where this dude is at a party and doesn't want to be there. You can tell he doesn't want to be there, like, maybe because it's, like, it, like the vibe I was getting was it was, like, his ex-girlfriend's place, and he was, like, picking up... Like, he literally just, just showed up to his ex-girlfriend's apartment to get shit, like, pick up some of his stuff, and she was having a party. So he keeps getting put off, because he keeps asking her, where's my stuff? Like, can I just get my stuff? And then she keeps jumping around to different people, because it's a huge party. And instead of just kind of ignoring him, she decides to tell him to set up in one of the back rooms, and she'll come back and help him find his shit in a little bit. But the thing of it is, he winds up going into this back room... This apartment is ungodly huge. I don't know. I can't imagine it's cheap to live in Paris, but, like, I also can't imagine half the people that you see in the beginning of this movie can actually afford to live in this apartment because it's huge. So he's going down this long-ass hallway to this back room, and then he catches a door right to the face, and it busts his nose, so he's got a nosebleed. And then he wanders back, and he's getting pissed because he's also had quite a few drinks because he's been there way longer than he planned on, so he's pissed. So he goes into this back room drunk with a broken nose or what have you and then he just winds up falling asleep because he gets locked inside i think somehow and he can't get out so he falls asleep in this room wakes up the next day to complete silence and nobody's there but the place is trashed there's blood all over and he has no idea what's going on and then as he's approaching the front door to the apartment there's his girlfriend and some other people just like eating a dude and he doesn't know what to think about it, so he says her name, and then she immediately charges, and he shuts the door, and then you just know you're in it for the long haul, for the ride. So he's basically got this apartment filled with dead bodies and body parts and blood and all to himself because he sort of does, like, a casual clear of the apartment. And that's the thing is, like, this dude's priorities are so messed up in the beginning of this movie. Like, he goes after the weirdest stuff. Like, he's trying to find clothes... He's trying to find, you know, he tries to clean up. Like, that was the one thing that he tried to do almost immediately was he just starts, like, mopping the floor and, like, moving rugs and cleaning blood up everywhere because he thinks he's going to be in there for a while because he's looking out the windows and he's seeing, you know, mobs of these, like, crazy cannibal zombie peoples running around Paris and he doesn't really know what to do. So his priorities get really weird because then, of course, like, time is time is kind of funny in this movie is that you don't really know how it's flowing, um, but you know he's going to be there for a while. You can sort of tell his hair and stuff starts to get long and you can tell he starts to act a little funny towards the end of the movie because he's in there for a while by himself but there's some great moments where like he's sort of confined to this apartment he's trying to find ways to interact with the the outside world or he's trying to find ways to 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 find other survivors but also you can sort of tell his mental capacity and like his sanity is sort of draining over time which is very interesting because for a movie that's set up in a in a setting that's literally just this huge apartment at least it wasn't a tiny apartment, but he still sort of has to find ways to survive. Like, it's interesting in the winter, the ways that he has to find ways to stay warm and not get sick and shit. 
And also when he is trying to find food, when he runs out of food, you're like, oh shit, like what are you gonna do? Then he realizes he has to go out. Um, but then at one point he does see a cat outside and you're like, oh shit, God damn it, is he gonna eat the cat? And it's like, no, he just wanted, he wanted the cat because he basically wanted somebody to hang out with. He wanted a pet, he wanted a friend. And that's like a really troublesome scene because you know he's gonna do something dumb, but it resolves sort of interestingly enough. But yeah, if you liked 28 Days Later, 28 Weeks Later movies like that, it's fairly similar, although he doesn't really leave the apartment from time to time he does. And then towards the end of the movie when things get really crazy and he finally sort of thinks that he meets another survivor and shit just goes down. There's a moment in the movie where you think, you know, he sort of screws himself because he's so... He's so much a survivalist towards the end there, but he's also starving, so he's not sure if he actually wants to be with another survivor because he barely has enough food and rations and supplies to save himself. It's an interesting movie. The Night Eats the World, definitely recommend. If you've been looking for like a semi-refreshing take on the zombie apocalypse, this one's pretty interesting. Um, I feel like I've heard a lot of people call it sort of like a, a millennial zombie apocalypse tale. And yeah, I could I could definitely get behind that because it's clearly just a dude sort of learning how to how to take care of himself on his own and it's not like there are a few moments where you're like well shit like how did you how did you figure out how to do that it's not like he's still got the internet on his phone or but there's also a great moment where he's sort of trying to dig himself out of the apartment where he's trying to get to different layers because it, it does eventually get to the point where he has access to the full building which is nice at least but some of the apartments are still filled with zombies some of them he manages to clear he does have a pet zombie that lives on a cage elevator, which is pretty interesting. But there's this great moment where it's one of the best jump scares in the movie. Spoilers eh, coming ahead. Early on in the movie, he hears a noise. And so he's like trying to try to figure out what it is, if it's a person or if it's a zombie. And so he puts his ear to the floor because he realizes it's coming from beneath him. But then, boom, an explosion happens. And you realize that it was like a, like a shotgun blast. And you, he looks down and there's just an old man who totally just offed himself with a shotgun. And it was such a powerful old gun that it just took out the his ceiling, but, like, the guy, the main character's floor. So then at that point, he has to dig through the floor to get to their apartment and, like, scavenge their apartment and stuff. And it's it's interesting. There's little moments like that where you're like, oh, shit, like, that was intense. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting, slow kind of burn movie that is punctuated by cool moments like that. So if you're into zombie apocalypse tales, uh, especially set in Paris, France... <laughs> I would recommend The Night Eats the World. And yes, actually, before I forget, uh, one that I was very disappointed in myself that I wasn't able to get to review before the holidays, but one that I would love to wrap this episode up on, is Anna and the Apocalypse. Now, I had the pleasure and the honor of being invited to go see an advanced free screening of that movie up here in Boston, and let me tell you, as a dude who is very, very much not into musicals, but loves horror, and specifically zombie horror is one of my favorite genres, I was very conflicted with this film. I'd heard a lot about it because I know they did a showing of it at San Diego Comic-Con this last year, and I didn't get a chance to see it then. I feel like that almost would have ruined it because I feel like this is a movie that you need to watch around the holidays. But as far as musicals go, I was into it. The songs are catchy. They're not super distracting I mean it does sort of become a joke which is part of it because it's like they'll be in a scene where it takes a while for finally like the zombie things to ramp up it is sort of very much like Shaun of the Dead that way where you get these 
background hints that something weird is going on and you can tell that there's going to be like a a disturbance of sorts and like there's going to be zombies like you know that something's going to happen and if you've seen a trailer for the movie you know what's going to go down but it's all set in this town where we're introduced to Anna and her single father and I think it's implied that her mom died or just left and she wants to get out of town she's about to graduate high school she's got a friend who wants to be her boyfriend and this other guy that she hooked up with who's like the notorious asshole like chick slayer of the high school and their friend dynamic is all very interesting and it seems like it's going to be something out of like high school musical or some bullshit and it seems for a second like it's going to be this like wholesome like heartfelt holiday film and then all of a sudden zombies show up and it's great but the character dynamics are great another interesting thing that they do in this movie is they definitely kill people out of order like the way that you think the way that you think they're setting it up and the way that you think things are going to go in the story and the way that you think things are going to resolve is not the case. This movie isn't necessarily a happy-go-lucky, heartwarming, everything's going to be okay in the end Christmas story. Like, it also ends very darkly. And that's not even a spoiler. It's just, they, they, no, nobody is safe in this movie. That's fair enough to say is that pretty much, I'm not going to say everybody dies, but a lot of the characters that you're not expecting to eat it definitely eat it and by eat it I mean they get eaten so it's really fun it has it has very interesting setup very interesting resolution the songs are catchy they're not distracting they deal with it very well because they're aware that it's a joke but they do take it very seriously because you can tell that people worked very hard on this production and I think it's a big shame that this movie didn't get more attention I think it did fairly fairly well for its limited release but I really think more people need to go out and see Anna in the Apocalypse it's still a good movie to watch in the new year. I wouldn't say, again, just like all the creatures were stirring, I don't think you need to wait to go see it for next Christmas. I think you can definitely find it. I know it's on iTunes and other places, other video-on-demand services. I would highly, highly, highly recommend going out of your way to watch Anna and the Apocalypse if you have the opportunity. It's a great movie, especially if you if you do like musicals, yes. I would sort of equate it to, if you've ever seen the film Repo the Genetic Opera, except the music is a lot better in this film. I didn't like a lot of the songs in that movie. But yes, so it's like Repo the Genetic Opera meets Shaun of the Dead is one of the best ways I could describe Anna and the Apocalypse. It's very funny. It has great moments, great characterizations, but also like some really satisfying deaths, some really surprising deaths, and yeah. It's not going to end the way you think it's going to end, and it's a great bummer of a holiday movie that I think everybody should watch. So with that, I've been Andrew. This has been Fear Boners. I'm so glad to be back with you guys. Hopefully in the new year, my biggest resolution will be to put out even more content, no more holiday hiatus. My voice is, <clears throat> for the most part, back. I'm feeling good right now, so maybe I'll try and pump out even another episode with stuff going forward, so... Yeah, uh, again, feel free to reach out to us. You can reach out to us at fearbonersdifp at gmail.com. Let us know what you think. Let us know about your New Year's resolutions. Let us know about what movies we should be watching, what movies maybe we should be reviewing, if we haven't already. And let us know what you think about our reviews and the content that we're putting out there. We'd love to hear from you guys, especially in this new year. And if you like what you've heard... You can find more over on downinfrontpodcast.com. We also have a Facebook page over on facebook.com backslash downinfrontpodcast. You can also email the Down In Front guys directly at thecrew at downinfrontpodcast.com. 
We also have a YouTube channel where we post some of our video teasers as well as full episodes. You can look for us on there. We also have the Gamescast over on Twitch where sometimes you'll see Bryland or maybe Warren and myself playing some Monster Hunter or Spider-Man or what have you, just shooting the shit. You can find that over at twitch.tv backslash downinfrontpodcast. We also have an Instagram where we post a lot of the art from our episodes, the title pages, as well as links directly to the episodes. You can follow us there to keep you up to date. All of these places, as well as Twitter at underscore D-I-F-P or at Fearboners D-I-F-P, we will constantly keep you updated with new content when we release new things. Or you can also go back and look at our back catalog. We're well over 100 episodes at this point, so there's so much listening for you. If it's a new movie, if it's an old movie, classic movie, we have an episode for you at this point that you're probably going to want to listen to if you haven't already heard it. And also, also, also... You guys have heard me say this a few times already, but goes without saying, we love you. We love having this ongoing conversation, and we do it absolutely for free. But if for any reason you feel like you'd love to contribute and help us make sure that we get this content out to you on time, then take a look over at Patreon at patreon.com backslash down in front podcast you can potentially sign up to uh, dedicate a dollar, five dollars a month, what have you. Even a dollar helps. Like an Arizona iced tea, the price is on the can. Every little bit helps us to get this content out to you on time, fresh, and delivered to your ears, whether it be on your lunch break, on your commute to work, from work, what have you. We'd love to have you listen to us wherever you are, even if it's on the toilet. That doesn't bother us. Just don't tell us about it. So anyway, thanks again for listening. We'll be back sooner rather than later. And as always, keep it creepy and stay spooky, dear listeners.